On Personally Speaking today, our guest is Alice McDermott, an award-winning novelist. Her latest is called Absolution. Stay with us. Hello and welcome to Personally Speaking. I'm your host, Monsignor Jim Lasanti, and best-selling author Alice McDermott joins me now. Alice is the author of nine novels, including Charming Billy, winner of the National Book Award. She has been a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize three times and is a professor of humanities at Johns Hopkins University. Alice's latest novel is called Absolution, which is about the lives of American wives on the margins of the Vietnam War. Alice has been married to her husband, neuroscientist David Armstrong, for over 40 years. Together, they have three grown children, and they live outside of Washington, D.C. She's here with us today to talk about her life, her family, her faith, and her latest novel, Absolution. I'm pleased to welcome back to Personally Speaking, our old friend and the great author, Alice McDermott. Our guest is Alice McDermott. We're delighted to have her back for a third visit with Personally Speaking. Her book is called, you heard that? Ab- Absolution. What is that? Absolution is the name of the book. Alice, let me begin with talking about confession. Um, when as a kid, Father Jack, this guy heard my first confession. He used to be one of those guys that would repeat your sin loudly so every kid on the line could hear it. A miserable experience of, of confession, reconciliation. Years later, I'm on a dais with the Knights of Columbus, and I'm ordained, and, and that guy's there. He's now some grand poo by the Knights. And I go up, and I say, hey, Father Jack, good to meet you. And you say, oh, how do, how do we know each other? I say, you heard my first confession. And the poor son of a gun took it as a comment. Oh, wow, that's amazing. You remember it all these years. And I said, oh, Father, I could never forget you. (laughs) (laughs) Now, back in St. Boniface days, how about your experiences early on of the sacrament of healing? Was it healing for you? Oh, my goodness. It was traumatic, right? I mean, it was just talk talk about a stereotype of Catholic guilt um, that you would stand there uh, waiting in line and your palms would be sweaty and you would think how could you know negotiate like if I said I told my mother three lies should I then say I told my father two lies or <laughs> would make should I make it six um yeah it very was, very but, comforting but I Just... think yeah um <laughs> I'm kidding my daughter's uh years later uh experience with with first confession she was as scared as I ever was. And she was very shy and she was very reluctant. And our wonderful Monsignor Beatty here in Bethesda, and it was face to face. There was no dark, you know, (laughs) shuffling the door and nobody looking at you. And she went into confession and I was waiting outside and she came out with the biggest grin on her face. And she told me, she had told Monsignor Beatty, you know, the various lies and disobedience. And then she said, And sometimes I don't do my homework. (laughs) And Monsignor Beatty leaned forward and said, that's a sin? I didn't know that was a sin. When I was a kid, I was sinning all the time. She was so relieved. (laughs) Isn't that great? What a different experience. Yeah. Not like our experience, Alice, a few years ago. <laughs> and and for those no. listeners and, and watchers who may not know, absolution is that moment at the end of the sacrament where the priest in the name of Christ says, it's all over, it's forgiven, it's uh, 
it, it's it, you're forgiven. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Now I got to ask you. I I hear all the time in uh, confession people who will tell me a, a, a sin that I say. Well, have you ever mentioned this before? Yeah, I've been to five other priests. Have you been absolved? Yeah. Well, well then what are you bringing it up for? Well, I, you know, God may forgive me, but I don't forgive myself. How good is Alice McDermott at actually accepting the mercy and forgiveness of God? I think that's probably um, at the heart of this novel, um, yeah. that sense of uh, not only how do we forgive one another, mm -hmm. but how do we learn to forgive ourselves? Um, and, you know, uh, there was a wonderful priest, you may have known him, uh, Monsignor George Diaz. Um, yes, that's right. Was yeah, he just passed away this yes. this spring, um, and a couple of years ago, brilliant, brilliant guy, wonderful. Um, I said to Father George that I was thinking of naming this new novel Absolution, and he thought about it for a minute. This is a guy who read everything, and he's a brilliant scholar, and he thought about it for a minute, and he said, no, that's a terrible title. <laughs> I, said, I said, why? And he said, because most people don't understand what absolution means. Mm. Um, and we talked about that whole, exactly what you're saying, that, that pardon and peace. And, and as father George said, people get the pardon part, your sins are forgiven, mm -hmm. but they don't get the peace part, um, that you can't go forward if you haven't also forgiven yourself. Um, and I think that's a big part of this story, um, because it seems to me, um, fewer and fewer of us know how to forgive ourselves. And offer, often we don't know how to offer absolution either. Um, you know, it's, I think in Catholicism, especially, um, you priests make it look easy, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because you just say your sins are forgiven, you know, next, <laughs> you <laughs> know, experience of confession, one after the other, you just, um, but but there's much more involved in forgiving others, um, mm. in understanding the failings um, of the past of the people in our lives, people who maybe with the very best intentions did very bad things, ultimately. Um, so it's, I think what, what Father George wanted me to think about, and it is something I have thought about a lot since, especially, you know, in, in composing this novel, um, is the effort it takes uh, both to forgive ourselves, but to offer absolution to one another. Um, you know, we are big finger shakers uh, in our culture <laughs> these days. It was your fault. It's the past fault. It's, right. you know, you did you did wrong. You're not thinking straight. Um, you used to say this and that's bad. You never should have said that. Um, without the, I think the work that needs to be done to say, but I see the context in which you erred and understanding that I offer you absolution. Um, that's not to say you didn't do wrong. Right, um, right, but, right. But there's work involved in absolving one yeah. another. And I agree with you that we're better at doing it professionally than we are in our interpersonal <laughs> relations. And and I say in pre-caner all the time, you know, it's one thing to say, uh, uh, you know, please forgive me. But often enough, is anybody good at saying, but I do forgive you. And here's why. Uh, and, and we need that. We need those words just as we do in confession. Monsignor George Days was a spiritual director in the seminary when I was there. And 
I went back a few years ago. He was doing a funeral for another priest who'd gotten in trouble, not the sex stuff, but money stuff. And I love George because he said in this homily, you know, this man did so much good in his life. And yet the first paragraph of his obituary mentions that he got in trouble. And what a shame it would be if, if we're all judged by the weakest moment in our lives instead of as God sees us with infinite, infinite mercy. Now, for those who don't know, Alice McDermott's book is uh, in a setting looking back on the years in the early years of the Vietnam War. I'm just intrigued, Alice. Uh, you and I both grew up during that period where we'd be very conscious of uh, the, the Buddhist monks and their protests and President ZM and all the stuff going on. Why that particular setting? Why did you pick Vietnam as a setting for this story? Um, well, as as you and I are both aware, and, and probably most of your listeners, 1963 was an yeah. unbelievably pivotal yeah. year yeah. Um, in, in politics and history and in many people's personal lives. Yeah. Um, and so I was, again, with this whole sense of looking at the past, um, looking at failings of the past and the people who lived in it, um, looking back at a year like this, and now we can see, oh, how many mistakes were made. And in Vietnam, especially, um, yeah. you know, what an opportunity there was in 1963 to avoid what the next decade was going to bring in that country and in our country and, right. and in the personal life of so many. Um, so what does it mean to look back with this perspective? Um, and number one, try to understand, um, yes, good intentions gone awry, people who had faith, people who believed that um, that to end communism um, was a, a noble God given calling. Mm -hmm. um, but but also to see um, that within this context, all the mistakes that were made were made by complex people. Um, so in many ways, I wanted to look back at a, a somewhat familiar historical moment, but to see it through um, the details of, of, of a very personal experience. And that's the experience of these two women, uh, one who was a young wife um, of a, a guy in Navy intelligence, probably CIA, <laughs> right, right. Um, a 23-year-old naive um, girl from the Bronx who finds herself in this exotic setting, um, looking back from her old age about what we know now and didn't know then and what life was like then. Um, and and then the other narrator is the daughter of, who was eight years old at the time, the daughter of an oil executive, an American oil executive. Um, again, so um, on the two women, very much on the periphery of events, um, really with no influence on events, except that they were there. Um, and now uh, they have a sense of what, what followed, um, what mistakes were made, um, and that, that, you know, that tremendous effort we all make to sort out the past and to understand our role in it. Um, and when we feel guilty, because we often do, um, right. how do we find absolution? I want to ask you, too, it was intriguing to me as a man who doesn't understand these things, I admit it. But there's a part of the novel where you talk about the women are talking about the uh, embarrassment or the shame of, of miscarriage. And I, I don't think most of us men understand why and how that could ever be a source of shame. What were you getting at there, Alice? 
Yeah, you know, um, and this that was actually very true of the time. Um, okay. uh, miscarriages were covered up. Um, you know, I mean, I can remember from my own childhood um, in Elmont, um, the the whisper among the moms when when someone had a miscarriage, um, and part of that was um, privacy, um, wow. not to intrude, um, but a good deal of it also was a kind of failing. You know, um, again. Um, we grew up in, in Catholic culture where lots of kids was a good thing. And, and, and the mom who had 10 kids and seemed uh, to be able to balance everything, um, was elevated. Um, so the failure, um, the failure of a pregnancy, uh, when nobody was talking about it, um, that sense of shame that, that I haven't done my part. My husband is, is, you know, proceeding with his career and he's and he's given me this wonderful home. And my role is to fill it with children. And I can't um, or wow. my body is failing. me. Um, so, yeah, it, I think it was very much all a part of um, women's voices being silenced. Um, mm -hmm. uh, again, with good intention, we don't want to intrude on that was a tragedy. We don't want to intrude on yeah. on your sadness and your failing. But in that silence, there's also the sense of you failed. Um, you must have done something wrong. <laughs> yeah, isn't that amazing? Uh, so, yeah. So, so while all this, uh, you know, the larger events of of the early '60s and the subsequent years were going on, um, and and all the behind the scenes, the assassinations, and um, mm -hmm. you know, there were women who were trying to fulfill the role that they um, very much desired, um, whose whose emotional lives were not being given any attention um, and who were supporting each other, but in an underground kind of catacomb way, um, you know, being there for each other, but, but the, the wider world was paying no attention. We're here with Alice McDermott. Uh, the book is Absolution. Alice, you know, I checked the record and we got our last interview, you and I, in uh, six years ago, and that was early in the pontificate of uh, Pope Francis. And I mentioned that because uh, certainly we had lots of hopes back then that great things were going to happen. But now six years down the line, I'm wondering what your perspective is. You know, it says in Wikipedia when they uh, have your, your biography there that you call yourself not a very good Catholic, but I think you're a great Catholic because you ask questions and you, you want some answers and you're willing to challenge this church we love, which I love. Um, but I, I ask you this because six years later, what's your, your view of where we're going or evolving is, you say so often as a church, specifically Francis's role in that. I'll be honest with you up front that um, sometimes I find him a tease. Um, you know, somewhere <laughs> along, he, he's talked about the possibility of a married clergy uh, and it didn't happen. They talked about looking into diaconate for women and so far it hasn't happened. So uh, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm wanting less tease from him and more uh, let's move forward in some way. How about yourself? Where, where are you at in terms of uh, the evaluation you would give on this very good man in terms of where he's heading in the church? Uh, you know, if you had asked me six months ago, I probably would have been more on your side with like enough with the maybe we'll do this and maybe we'll do that and <laughs> let's do it. Um, but um, in late May and then again in late June, I was in Rome um, and both times uh, had an audience with the Pope, um, wow, cool. with Pope Francis. Uh, it was wonderful. One was with a group of about 40 for the um, 
It was hosted by Georgetown University, the Catholic Imagination Conference. Oh. Um, and Francis spoke to the writers who were gathered, spoke beautifully and um, reminded us all about the spiritual aspect of what we do. Um, and then the second time was actually in the Sistine Chapel with about 200 oh. writers and artists. Um, again, the Pope Francis spoke to us uh, beautifully. Um, but the visual for me, and I think something that maybe I hadn't uh, taken into full account in my impatience with, <laughs> uh, yeah, you're talking in the right direction, but you're still just talking, um, is to see the uh, the walled city, literally and metaphorically, that the Vatican is. Um, to see this Pope who, um, who, yes, seems to be trying to nudge us in the right direction. He's surrounded by men. <laughs> literally <laughs> surrounded by men right, right um our first our first trip to the vatican i and again you couldn't make this up you couldn't put this in fiction because it's just too it's too much of a metaphor as we were walking into this wonderful audience with the pope i saw exactly two women both of them old oh. nuns and both of them were headed out <laughs> yeah. they were both hustling out of the vatican after that um Every every place we turned, everyone surrounding the Pope, Men. many of them clergy, obviously. Yeah. Um, there is a there is an old old network that um, mm. obviously is not going to be inclined to the kinds of changes that the that the Church needs, and that Francis has at least nodded towards. So, given that visual um, reminder. <laughs> of what we're up against for change in this church, um, I give them a lot more credit. Okay. I think even saying, well, wait a minute, let's think about it, uh, is is sort of tremendous. Um, and I worry what will come next, because as mm -hmm. you and I both know, the, the pushback is profound, um, and that it's coming from the United States yeah. um, in such a strong way is, is really depressing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know we have faith, right? And yeah. and and hope springs. Um, and the rightness of um, the direction that Francis is so slowly indicating, if not actually <laughs> moving us toward, um, I think is undeniable. Um, the equal treatment for all people um, that what neither male nor female. Um, yeah, I, mean, I, I think it's there. I, I think that's that's kind of foundational yeah. to what Jesus was trying to tell us. No, no doubt about it. And you know, the, the evolution you talk about, there is always that fear of the the pendulum swing again. He seems to have, uh, you know, stocked the College of Cardinals with people with an open mind. We hope. You know, 30 years ago, I had written a column in the Catholic Press called Lacking Compassion. And I said, if we're going to be a pro-life church, can we stop beating up on the gay people and just let them be? And uh, I got into a lot of trouble for that at the time. Now, 30 years later, nothing I said in that article couldn't have been said yesterday by Pope Francis. So I had Cardinal Supertron from Chicago, and I said, what do you make of the fact that what got me condemned 30 years ago is now in sync with the Pope? And he said, well, maybe it's a compliment. Maybe, maybe you're a prophetic voice. But I was conscious of the fact that the next Pope could come in and say, Lasanti, you were wrong then, and you're wrong again. So what do we do to be sure, be sure that our church stays on the right road. Do you have any insight into that? Um, 
I th- I think that it, again it comes back to 30 years ago what you said was right and and yeah. because it was right it hasn't changed 30 years later. <laughs> Got to ask a personal question. You talk so often about uh, being culturally a Catholic, traditionally a Catholic, and obviously a faith Catholic. Um, I think I'm the same. But six months ago, not even six months ago, I lost my 102 year old mom for whom I was caretaker for oh. forever and loved yeah, her. And was... she was great until the end. And But when you lost uh, your parents, did you struggle with faith? I mean, here I am. I'm a priest and I believe, but it's so hard to let go of people we love. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, when my mother died at 96, oh. um, when she was in her last days um, and she was failing and we knew, you know, um, the time had come. Um, she looked at me and she said, Mary, come and get me. Oh. And, <laughs> well, my mother had an older sister who she loved dearly, um, who was a sort of second mother. And her name was Mary. So my cousins and I were all saying, now, which Mary was she asking? <laughs> Maybe both. (laughs) (laughs) But but she but she asked it with such confidence um, that it was very comforting to me. And yes, um, you know, I I mean, I miss her every day. Um, And uh, and I think I felt I was much younger when my father died. He was 74. I was only 29. um, uh, But oh, my goodness, he had such tremendous faith that I did find it um, extremely comforting. Um, the 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 sort of wisdom of um, you know my father was was lots of contradictions he was uh, you know a Republican Irish Catholic you know <laughs> a Goldwater Republican Irish Catholic um, and 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 yet with a generosity of heart and a tremendous sense of compassion um, and an absolutely unshakable faith wow. um, and and I I, I think. Um, I know I'm I'm full of awe uh, that both my parents um, that their faith served them at the end. Now whether it served me, yeah, no, I still wanted them here. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and um, none of us like this whole mortality thing. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it was like a bad idea. The creator really, you know, kind of screwed up there. The people yeah. we love leave us forever. That makes oh. no sense. Um, and because it makes no sense. Um, we have the faith to say it makes no sense because it's not true. It's they're not gone forever. Right. Um, that's what Catholicism. That's what Christianity tells us. You know, um, we believe in justice. We have this this inner sense of what's just and and unjust. And um, the loss of the people we love is a tremendous personal injustice. Yeah. Um, that Christianity tells us. I agree. Jesus says, I agree. <laughs> Jesus wept. You know, um, this is a terrible thing, the loss of a dear friend. Mm-hmm. I'm going to fix it. And he does. And he does. A wonderful, and- crazy thing to believe. <laughs> and I love, uh, I, I often turn in the book to uh, when I'm feeling down to his own experience when it says in the gospel at Lazarus's tomb, and Jesus wept. So when I get emotional, I'm like, okay. If he could mourn and grieve, he understands the struggle, too. And how good is that? Last question, I promise. We're talking to Alice McDermott. Please, everybody, go out and get the book Absolution. But I got to ask one more personal question. You talk beautifully about the fact that uh, your parents 
in some ways modeled the faith for you. And at the same time, while you guys were young, you and your brothers could disagree and uh, they would listen to you, allow you to disagree. Um, what a wonderful example that would be. But I'm wondering now, with three kids of your own, did you find it easy to let them follow their own path? Um, you know, the, um, my two sons uh, went to Jesuit high schools and oh. Jesuit colleges. Um, okay. And um, they sometimes amazed me that, that they had more faith than I did. <laughs> and it was not, <laughs> it, I, I take no credit for that. Um, but I think part of it was that constant dialogue that it's okay to question, it's okay, that they never had what probably we had, the, this is the truth, these are the Ten Commandments, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, this is what yeah. the church says, shut it down. Um, they, they, you know, they had their education at a, at a time when it was, yes, question, let's talk about that. Um, my daughter, who's my middle child, on the other hand, um, uh, she 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 was she was me. My mother always used to to laugh when she would see my battles with my with my daughter, um, because she knew it was payback time. <laughs> <laughs> um, as rebellious as I thought I was as a teenager, my daughter showed me what rebellion really means. Um, but always, again, with that, it's okay to argue. It's okay to question. Um, it's okay to listen and then say, yes, but, yeah. um, and as long as we're doing that, I think we're on the right path. One of the things Alice McDermott uh, has said about her daughter is that, and I have to use this line in church, there are seven sacraments for men and six for women. You can't beat that really. You know? yes, <laughs> doesn't that, yes, doesn't that yeah. focus the whole thing? You know, um, I want to, and thank... she told that to sister Nina, <laughs> <laughs> but she's, you know, what a great perspective. Who and... agreed. <laughs> No, I, I think your daughter's onto something wonderful. I'd never thought of that. Like, there's six for women. I want to thank Alice McDermott for being with us again on Personally Speaking. And I, I hope folks will get a hold of Absolution. Uh, this is a, a brilliant writer in many ways, and she takes a lot of time to write, and it comes from the heart, soul, and mind of a great woman. I, I wanted to, to talk about Alice's relationship with the church because I think she's uh, radically honest in uh, seeing what we're doing that's not right but not giving up and challenging and loving and able to see, for instance, as she said a few moments ago, uh, the slowness sometimes in Francis, but also what he faces and why, uh, to see with great nuance uh, what, what we're, where we're heading as a church. And at the end of the time, end of our journey, knowing that it's his church, and if he can survive the mess we've made of it time and time again in history, uh, we're going to be fine. Alice, you give me great hope every time I talk to you, and thank you for your writing and your thank insights. You. And uh, and folks, my listeners, my watchers, absolution. If you go out and buy this book, I will grant you general absolution, <laughs> which we're not allowed. I know that. Alice, thanks so much for being on Personally Speaking. Thanks for being with us today. If you need to reach me for any reason, you can get me at personallyspeakingpodcast at gmail.com. You can probably listen to this program on Sirius XM, the Catholic channel, but you can also watch us on YouTube by searching under Personally Speaking with Monsignor Jim Lasanti. And don't forget to click like and subscribe. Personally Speaking is also on Facebook at Personally Speaking with Monsignor Jim Lasanti. And we're also now on Instagram at Personally Speaking Podcast. I'm privileged to serve as host and executive producer, Personally Speaking. Our producer is Lisa Jandovitz. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be with you again next time on Personally Speaking. <laughs>